we have to remember that the creation story in Genesis is really a creation myth. So to break it to you straightforward, the world was not created in seven days, sorry, six days with, with God taking a rest on day seven, because come on. First of all, that's your that's the one flaw in that whole story. The omnipotent God needed a day to rest. Um, you know, why? So uh yeah, and everyone knows it takes ten days to create a world. At least, at least a good ten. <laughs> Welcome to episode 73 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brewed pint, a fine wine, a holiday cocktail, or whatever happens to be in your glass. And as usual, tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsors. First up, we've got, as usual, Casual Priest, I guess the official clergy sponsor, clergy wear sponsor of the show. Uh, they're based out of Sweden. They've got some nice tailored modern stylish tops for both men and women. And you can win clergy apparel from them. Call and leave a message on our voicemail. The Casual Priest Hotline, 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-4830. You can join in on the fun at any time by posting on Twitter or Facebook in response to anything. Please use the hashtag PT-LIVE so we can find your comment. And we also sponsored by Wink Wine Club. That's W-I-N-C. Wink features superbly crafted wines, and they will deliver them to your door, as long as that's legal in your state. There are a few states that don't deliver to, but they deliver to mine. And I just got my Wink shipment like two days ago and sampled a really, really nice uh, red blend. So um, try it out at trywink.com slash ptlive. That's T-R-Y-W-I-N-C dot com slash pt live for twenty dollars off your first order and there are other savings available to you as well and tonight it is our much anticipated ask the ministers episode so we have uh, collected a few questions from listeners and folks via the social medias my name is brian burkoff and i am through the book pub theology beer conversation and god supposed to get snow overnight so early winter so to warm up tonight i am drinking a uh, new belgium abbey belgian style double nice so that should be uh, a yummy offering uh, bottle conditioned so i think you know that means it just kind of keeps brewing once they even bottle it and with us tonight as usual ogan holder welcome my friend Thank you. I am Reverend Ogan Holder at Unity on the River in Amesbury, Massachusetts, author of Rants to Revelations and celebrating five years of the publication of Rants to Revelations. Get it on Amazon. It's no less special five years later, but I will say that, um, yeah, my writing back then was, I don't know, jury's still out on that. Anyways, it's good to read. <laughs> you're, you're convincing everyone. I know, right? I know, right? It's 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 kind of sad. Um, ooh, what am I drinking? I'm drinking mm. from your neck of the woods, my friend Brian, from New Holland Brewing, Dragon's Milk. 
Oh, hey. Barrel aid stout. Yeah, probably made this right down the road from you in Holland there, right? You betcha. It sure was. In fact, New Holland uh, just celebrated their 20th anniversary this past week. Oh, nice. I'm really, uh, you know, I was not really a porter stout person. I think part of that was my first experience was of ever drinking a stout was Guinness, and it I was probably a little too young, and it was like this is a mess. Yeah. So, but I am I'm getting into the getting into them. The porters, the stouts, love the bourbon barreled aged stuff. Um, last night I had probably a, a, like an exquisite vanilla porter at dinner nice. last. Night. It was tasty stuff. So. Take a sip of that. And let me know what you think. Mm, mm, that's nice. Yes. That's the good stuff right there. Taste a little vanilla back there. Definitely the bourbon flavor. Yeah. Coming through. Nice and it's nice and rich and thick. Yeah, that's not going to disappoint. Not yeah. going to disappoint. So we uh yeah. Anything else on your mind before we get into it here? Yes. Um I am not <laughs> I'm now the proud parent of a licensed teenage driver oh wow congratulations really is it congratulations <laughs> and prayers on your behalf yes uh ab absolutely you know it's it's good because um she has a part-time job um we do homeschool but she's also part of a homeschool uh, co-op that she goes a couple times a week and she's got her dance classes so the last few months my schedule was dictated by her schedule as a lot of right. parents right so I'm, you know, this is kind of returned to my schedule to me, which is a good thing. But I realize there's a significant loss at play here because the vast majority of the conversations she and I had together as parent and child happened in the car when we were driving places. So there's well, a of lot, course. Yeah, there's a lot less of that. There's a lot less of listening to music together, listening to podcasts together, all that stuff that happened in the car together. So I I really did not um I really did not realize how much of our bond in time um was centered on or connected to our commuting time from place to place. So uh we've kind of lost that for the most part because now she's she's doing her daily stuff, I'm doing my daily stuff. But you know, she's she's 17. Um this is I guess the natural progression of our children growing up and becoming adults. Um, so yeah, so so now we've got to figure out, you know, how do we how do we substitute that time together? I said this to someone, and they said, "Well, you guys could like watch less TV together." I'm like, "Well, that's not happening." That's that's that's, that's <laughs> family time. But, yeah, exactly. There's so much good TV on too. So yeah, that's that's that. There um, is. There really is. Very proud of you, Joy. I know you don't listen to this, so you'll probably never hear this, but um, it's it's archived somewhere, um, you know, in the webs and in the cloud. I'm very proud of you for getting your license and being a good, safe, responsible driver. So cheers to you. Excellent. And on our end, uh, the old uh, shed project continues along, but uh, will win is winter coming before the shed uh, is finished? That That's an open question. Winter is coming. So, winter is coming. Yeah. So we did get one voicemail from Frank. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Here's what, here's what Frank had to say. Yeah. Uh, hey, guys. This is uh, Frank Collin, and I uh, love the show, and I'm glad you guys are taking questions because 
because I have a lot of questions. Uh, like, uh, who wrote the Bible? You know, they told me that God wrote the Bible, but there's a lot of stuff in there I don't quite understand. And I kind of wondered if God do a spell check or, or did he forget to check Google sometimes before stuff was written down? Oh my. So, uh, that's kind of my main question for tonight. And, uh, looking forward to listening. Thanks guys. This is this is what we don't wow. get. Wow! Wow! Frank was. I think Frank had a few before he called in. <laughs> uh, I like that Frank said "cuz" twice. It's so funny when so <laughs> as I look at the voicemails, they're transcribed, and I'm reading this. And Frank said "cuz" twice. I'm glad taking questions. "Cuz, cuz." I have a lot of questions. <laughs> like, like who wrote the Bible? But you know, and I'll. I'm I'm glad Frank brought up that question because that that's part of what I will be talking about as we respond to one of the questions we got from another um, listener or responder oh, good. About, about, good. about some stuff. Because when one asks questions about the Bible and uses passages from the Bible as the foundation of your question or your point, you know, you got to take into the context, the authorship, the time, all that fun stuff. Any who's. All right. So, uh, Drew on Instagram asks, how do you reconcile the same-sex marriage movement and passages from the Bible, such as Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 9? And I'll just read a, a selection from that, and this is Jesus speaking. And he says, at the beginning of creation, God made them, quote, male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And he's quoting from Genesis there. So, Ogan, how would you respond to Drew, who asks uh, how you can square um, being in favor of same-sex marriage while Jesus says um, God made the male and female and seems... Wow. And where'd you go? Oh, you're back. There you go. You like to disappear. All right. So, so... Here's here's the issue I have with that because um, I think that's a great example of taking a passage from one context and applying it to another. This was a response about a question of divorce. Okay, so mm -hmm. if we read further up, so he gives us the pass or uh, uh, the listener. Um, what was the listener's name again? Was it Drew? Drew. Drew. Right. So Drew, you know, quoted the whole passage two to nine, and if we read earlier up it's the pharisees asking jesus is divorce lawful and jesus said well you know what what did moses have to say about this and their response well moses said you know the husband could basically write a note and separate from his wife so therefore in that sense divorce was allowed um so the question so this response is really about marriage and divorce in general it's a divorce question and so therefore let's talk a little bit about what marriage meant at the time that they asked and at the time roses wrote the law marriage was basically a legal contract between you know a man and a woman there was really little to do with love or affection at best there might have been some lust involved you know maybe over time the, the two individuals grew, grew to have an appreciation for each other, but this was 
a very patriarchal society where women were as good as property and cattle. And the marriage arrangement was a contract, a legal binding contract. It was more about getting the dowries, more about joining families and tribes, all that kind of stuff. It was also basically a survival mechanism for uh, a group of people because then you can have children and the more the, be the better for you and your family and also you are keeping your people alive. And, you know, having come out of exile um, and, and being very um, doubtful about their existence, there was a lot of emphasis placed on let's, let's get men and women together so we can <clears throat> have lots of babies. So I think that's a lot of the context. And I know what you're saying. Wait, Moses said this, but uh, didn't the exile come like way after Moses? Yes, it did. But the writing of a lot of the scriptures that we read in the Old Testament happened after exile. When people from an oral tradition realized, oh, wait, you know, we almost just got wiped off the face of the earth. If we are gone, who's going to know about this stuff? We should maybe write this stuff down. <laughs> Um, so a lot of a lot of what we read about uh, chronologically that quote unquote happened before the exiles was actually written way after the exiles, um, and so therefore there's there's a lot of that going on as well. So that's the, for me that's that's the context, the whole context in which Jesus was speaking about. There was a question about divorce. Now, so. To more specifically to this question, to this section, now if you want to bring it, uh, reason a man will leave his father, mother, unites his wife, and the two will become one flesh. But the part before that, I think, is the part that more people stress. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So now we come to a question of the creation story. Okay? Yeah. And when we read the Bible, do we perceive the creation story as, hey, this is the way it happened? Or do we realize that the creation story is one of many creation myths that existed around with many ancient peoples? So to break it to you straightforward, the world was not created in seven days, sorry, six days with, with God taking a rest on day seven, because come on. First of all, that's, your, that's the one flaw in that whole story. The omnipotent God needed a day to rest. Um, you know why so uh yeah and everyone knows it takes 10 days to create a world at least at least a good 10 <laughs> um so 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 we have to remember that the creation story in genesis is really a creation myth one of many that exists around many ancient peoples oh by the way in case you hadn't noticed there are two creation stories in genesis and the same, and the the order of creation of things differ in those stories. So, I mean, if you're gonna pull out, uh, if you're gonna pull out the creation myth as something that God said, because Jesus quoted it, like, okay, you know, the fact that there are two creation myths should tell you that, or there are two creation narratives in the same book of Genesis should tell you that maybe these are stories, not actual events. So now you're probably saying, then why did Jesus quote them? Let's not forget who Jesus was. He was a man that lived in first century Palestine. Okay. Yeah. So we weren't big on, you know, like 
actual world history events, you know, the way things actually happen, uh, archaeology, anthropology, not really top of the list there. What happened was, again, Jesus was a product of his time, a good Jew who read the Bible and granted he came up with his own reinterpretation. Maybe that's too strong a word, application sure. of teachings, but he also stuck to the teachings. So Jesus no doubt read the Torah and took it at face value for what it was because that's what everybody else did. Yeah. So, so what I want to say is that this passage, these passages don't apply to, um, to, the, to, to any couple who want to be together for the sake of love. Because again, we're talking about divorce and at that time, marriage is simply a legal contract, not a whole lot of love going on there. Um, and, and what I also want to add to this is we, we should probably um, realize as adults that as long as there's been, you know, some level of civilization among humans, or probably even before that, there have been gay humans. They've been, uh, I'm going to dive into a deeper end here, women terminating pregnancies this has coexisted with human beings from the beginning of time. Right. So, so, you know, let's, let's realize that, that in spite of, and, and if we think that, you know, politics wants to play a big part in um, things like women's reproductive rights. Now, imagine how it was at a time when people were troubled by the very existence, by the very uh, threat of existence of themselves. And they're like, we can't, we can't waste anything. You, you know, the, that famous passage about God striking down some, uh, what is it? Uh, Onan for basically masturbating, yeah. spilling the seed on the ground. Right. right. Um, you know, which struck a lot of fear and a lot of nice Christian teenage boys like myself. Um, the point is that it was about, uh, san about <laughs> san sanctity of life because we are people that might be wiped out. So right. we can't afford to waste anything. So. That's yeah. all. Well done. Well done. Why don't you take it over? Take take a well deserved sip of that dragon's milk, my friend. Well done. You came prepared. I'm going to take my seventh day right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so I think you hit on a on a on a very good point that what is Jesus talking about in that context? And as you said, he's discussing sort of the legal aspect of of marriage and divorce he's not addressing the question of who can get married and that wasn't even a, a question that was part of their context uh, he was operating in his culture and in his culture it was just assumed uh in the jewish culture of the first century that marriage was between a man and a woman or not that far earlier a man and more than one woman um, but he's not addressing that question and you have to think if jesus were around today given his uh, stance on um, love and welcome and making space for people at the table. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a lot of questions about where Jesus would stand on this issue today. And if you don't think that religion inherently often becomes more open or more um, expansive uh, or liberal, you might say, we could imagine like kosher, for example. Jesus, as a good Jew, would not eat pork or wouldn't eat shellfish or something that was not allowed, right? But just a generation after Jesus, uh, Peter has this vision of all these animals, uh, and God says, go and eat. And Peter's like, oh, you know, Lord, I've never eaten anything 
that's unclean. In other words, anything that's not kosher. But Peter was a follower of Jesus and didn't, you know, we forget Jesus was a good Jew, so were his first followers. But within one generation, suddenly the rules expand and make more space. So wasn't it Jesus and said himself who said it's not what goes into a man that follows him, but what comes out? Was that Jesus or was he that? He did, but he no, he did, but that's more speaking about uh, you know what. Yeah, that our words matter more than what we eat. So yeah, he is addressing it sideways, but I think Jesus would have followed all the kosher laws. I I think so. I think so too. He was a good he was a good Jewish boy. Now mm-hmm. <laughs> he was. He was. So this uh, leads us into our second question from Todd, who asks: Should a baker be able to refuse to make a cake for a gay wedding if he claims it violates his personal religious? beliefs and this question is going to be before the supreme court um for this case that happened in colorado i like uh, read read the, read the second part that you got written there is this a qu- yeah. is this an issue of free speech or of discrimination and my answer to that is yes <laughs> it's 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 the both uh, <laughs> is it both because the one side's arguing free speech the guy who wants to refuse to bake a cake right wanting to have a cake are saying this is discrimination so i will i will say this um anyone has the right to discriminate but you got to realize that when you discriminate there are gonna be consequences and <laughs> okay. i and i i'm just saying <laughs> and, well yeah and the laws uh, in colorado say that you can't discriminate if you open a public business you cannot discriminate to anyone based on religion ethnicity orientation uh sexual orientation and otherwise and, and where does it say in the Bible that you cannot um, be in service to or be compassionate to anyone who's not in your religious camp or anyone who is gay or anyone who's not? I mean, where does it say that? Because, and the reason I bring this up is because when you look at Jesus' stories, many times he used someone who was not Jewish as the hero of the story. The classic example is the good Samaritan. Mm. You know, where does it say that we shouldn't be in service to others who don't hold the same view as us? Okay. And, and my, my issue is when when it's kind of silly because you're a baker and you're there to bake cakes. That's what you're there to do. You're not baking a cake is not going to prevent these two people of the same sex from being in love with each other. You're not baking the cake is going to prevent them from getting married in a state where, well, in a state, hello, the whole country, you know, it's yeah, legal now. Um, so it's not gonna, it's not going to prevent you from doing that. Now you are a business owner. You have a right to refuse business to anyone. But if you're going to do it and make the case that I'm not going to serve these people because I don't agree with something they want to do that's legal, then you got to understand you're setting yourself up. No one's, yeah, this is not a free speech issue. This is, you don't want to support, you don't want to support these people because they're gay. And you have the right to decide that, but there are going to be consequences. Yeah. And that's the question. Are you breaking the law? And in Colorado, um the courts in colorado landed on yes you are breaking the law so you cannot um not serve them if you have a public business 
and you know but the guy is trying to uh, claim uh, that this violates his personal religious beliefs that it's his freedom of speech that in fact when he makes cake that's his art and his art cannot make a cake for a purpose he doesn't agree with but I don't know that I I agree with that because that's like saying uh, I can't bake a cake for these good Jewish people who are getting married or these German people who are getting married or um, whatever category you want to fill in, right? You just can't do that and you can't then claim this is my artistic preference or whatever. Well, let me ask you this now. I get to play devil's advocate. Suppose you are a baker, Mm. you know, and say you're a christian baker and i come into your bakery and i say hey um i want you to bake a cake because my satanist church is having its 10th anniversary so therefore i want you to bake a cake of what what is the what is the what is the the uh, the goat-headed personification of satan uh i forget oh the goat-headed personification uh is that Beelzebub? Mephistopheles? There you go. That's the one, I think. So, you know, with a pentagram on his chest, I'm going to bake a cake looking like that. Now, you, Brian, you're a good Christian boy. Yeah. And you're a baker. If someone came in and said, you know, they want to do that. Now, are you going to bake the cake for them? <laughs> right? And we're probably saying, wait, that's not the same thing. But it kind of is because, you know, Church of Satan, it can't, it's a legal entity. There's no one saying that that doesn't exist because, yeah. Like, so so what do you do there <laughs> yeah i would you know well i would probably bake the cake and ask if i could eat some yeah <laughs> say that now you wouldn't bake that cake i know, oh, you. You know listen 12 years ago i wouldn't have baked that cake i would today except that let the record show i have never baked a single cake okay so let's go back to 12 years ago then what would you have done and 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 20 years ago you know when i was no even more than 20 god i'm getting old um you know, when I was in my evangelical tradition, I would not have baked that cake either. But I, I would also realize that, hey, you know what? If I am breaking a law by not doing this, then I need to be prepared to know that there's going to be consequences for it. So I have no, and in effect, and I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, in effect, I have no problem with this baker saying, you know what? This is not what I want to do, and it's my business. I have a right to refuse service. And again, in doing so, he realizes he has he or she open them themselves up to be sued, and there's going to be legal consequences because they're in effect breaking the law. So you uh, can't have it. I don't. Yeah, has a right to do it. I don't know that he does legally, and I think that's what they're going to decide. That's like saying, "Well, I have a right to only serve whites at my lunch counter." Well, guess what? The courts have decided pretty clear on that, right. as has society. Well, exactly. But that's my, that's my, so a personal, maybe I should say he has a personal right um, to do so if that's his opinion, but it's not, but it's not going to end well for him is what I'm saying. Well, yes, you have a personal right to do anything, you know, you you can kill your mother, but it's not going to go well and you're going to be in jail. Exactly. So that, but, but that's why I say it's kind of a both and issue because, because we live in a country where yes, you should be able to hold any opinion you want but again when when the court of law has decided that your opinion is you know illegal discriminatory and shouldn't be expressed then you kind of got to get with the program and if you don't then don't be surprised when the consequences 
or the fallout happens. Right. And according to the story I heard on NPR this morning, he um, has stopped baking cakes altogether uh, and he's had to lay off a bunch of people and so on. And so, it, you know, it's yeah. hurting him, but he's persisting in, in breaking the law. So guess what? You can't do business that way. Exactly. Exactly. If, if you're clear that you um, want to do that, then it's either get out the cake baking business or relocate to another state um, that, that, would support you more but yeah you got we gotta we gotta move on i think all that stuff is gonna be a moot point like you know 20 years from now and no one's even gonna people are gonna look back and go like wait why did we even bother with this but you know we we human beings are slow to learn slow to learn mm. true enough true enough so uh, I'm going to jump ahead one. Uh, Sarah on Twitter asks a bold question. Uh, when did you first have sex? <laughs> but, I, but I think we might reframe that to, is it okay to have sex before marriage? I think is that, okay I think that question before? crossed the personal boundary line, maybe. <laughs> I, think, I think it may have, but we're going to reframe it uh, to, is it okay to have sex before marriage? Yes, before marriage, during marriage, after marriage. Sex is okay. Whoa. <laughs> before, during, and after, he says. And the more the merrier. People people tend to be happier when they're having more sex. All right, all right. Um, well, uh, we are both fathers of a daughter. Um, what advice would you give your daughter in this regard? The advice I already have given my daughter in this regard is to realize that... Um, that sex is a very powerful physical and emotional act. Don't take it lightly. One, um, do your, do your best to make sure that if you're going to have sex with someone, it's someone that you care about and, and actually have some feelings for, um, use protection, please. Um, please, please, please. Um, and, but by all means, when you feel ready, there's no rush here, but when you feel ready, yes, have sex because it's one, one of the most um, innate things us as human beings do. Um, and two, I think the more um, what's familiar, the, 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 the more one realizes that it's not something that is to be feared or taboo or have any shame or embarrassment about that, right. you know, and, and, and it's all tied to our, to body image as well, whether you're male or female. Um, and, and, you know, in, in light of, of this recent deluge of, of sexual harassment news. Um, and by the yeah. way, can we go off a tangent on, on that just a little bit? I, I, I love the fact that, you know, all these headlines are coming out and, um, and it's really mostly us men that are surprised by this. And, and <laughs> right. women are like, uh, yeah, we've been telling you this for like eons. This is not a new thing. This welcome to our world. Well, yeah. Did you see the SNL skit, which is exactly that? Exactly. Hey, Welcome hey, to hell. It was awesome. So, so, so this is yeah. This is what I say to my daughter. I've never placed any uh, don't have sex outside of marriage constraints, and I and I think I'm not sure. Um, I I I think it's an unfair expectation 
to place that on anyone because you're basically um, denying someone a very normal human function. Um, yeah, and, and I think it can it can backfire if you obsess about this. And there's a whole purity movement within evangelical Christianity where girls often mostly girls but sometimes boys make pledges right to jesus to never have sex until they're married and i think that kind of repression can lead to some very unhealthy unfulfilling relationships in marriage or otherwise later on in life not um, only that but if you if you read stories about many of these teenagers they interpret that as do not they make a pledge and interpret it as do not have like regular in what we call normal intercourse. Um, right, you know, right. Vagina, as opposed to, oh, so we can still engage in oral sex. We can right. still engage in anal sex. We can engage in all these other sexual activities, not use protection because, you know, the big emphasis is again on, on, um, abstinence. Well, the emphasis is on also on not getting pregnant. So let's just, engage in other sexual behaviors and don't protect ourselves as well um which is very dangerous it's yeah. very very dangerous so so i think the abstinent pledges and the abstinence movement um it doesn't work it never has worked and it encourages secrecy it encourages shame and embarrassment um people are being um kicked out of churches they're being shunned they're being humiliated it's you know, I, th I think a more healthy relationship with um, with sex education is is better. And again, the, I I am not sure, and, and perhaps you could help me out on this. I am not sure how the idea of not having sex before marriage became like a hallmark of Christianity, right? <laughs> I like, you know, it was never explained to me. It was just told this is what, you know, when I was growing up, if you're a Christian, this is, you don't have sex before marriage, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it's some of that sort of Puritan, uh, Western, you know, Western European Puritan uh, origins of much of the Christianity in, in the West. And I think the church just hasn't done well with sex. Uh, and as you said, we've made it about shame and guilt and avoidance and we've mostly punished women around sex and made exceptions for men. See Roy Moore, our current president, everyone else uh, who's been coming Catholic, out in the news. Catholic, Catholic priests. Catholic priests, uh, you know, go on down the list. And yeah. so we've done a terrible job. Um, so I think, as you said, realize what a beautiful thing it is. Be informed about it. Know that you're in a relationship with someone that you care about and that you want to share that expression with. Um, and I'd say make sure it's a pretty serious relationship. Um, I wouldn't recommend casual sex, at least uh, as a, you know, as a young person. But, you know, people have to make their own decisions. But would you put a minimum age on uh, sex as a, as a guideline? Not as a hard and fast rule, but as a guideline. Um, hmm. Like uh, 27 when it comes to your own child? <laughs> With my own child, never. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly, I, I think it depends on the individual. Okay, 
like I think one needs to be mentally and emotionally mature enough to handle it. And that's going to happen at different ages for different people, you know, so, you know, 15, 16, 17, that window um, is, I mean, that's, I mean, you're you're like, who is 15, 16, 17 and not horny half the time? I mean, come on, you know, let's not kid ourselves here. (laughs) True enough. True enough, though. Uh, let's let's. The legal age feels like a good minimum. Uh, the legal age is good too, but again, let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> let's come on. Jeez. Let's be honest. Let's let's just be real. Let's keep it real. You know, the legal age is an arbitrary thing, and and trust me, there there are less plenty of teenagers not waiting to the legal age. But the point I'm making is this: there needs to be a certain level of emotional and mental maturity. I think is my advice and um and yeah and some and to any men listening no means no indeed period indeed all right so joanna joanna on twitter says how do you actively embrace those who've been consistently ousted or shunned from the church um she says in her view, uh, we're all God's children and should be shown nothing less than the full acceptance of his love, especially from other congregants. Uh, and other congregants maybe can take it for granted. Now, she doesn't give it, go into any specifics, so uh, I'm not sure who she has in mind, but we all have known or been ourselves someone who's been ousted or shunned from the church and so how do we, I think she's addressing us as ministers, how do we actively embrace people who feel like the church has rejected me elsewhere? Mm. Um, well, if that's indeed what she's asking, I think uh, let's go back to, uh, I love I love Jesus' um, response when they were about to stone the woman. It's like, he who's without sin cast the first stone. Um, none of us are really in a position to judge another. Um, and or condemn another because none of us have there, there's anyone walking the planet who hasn't done something you know a little bit shady at some point in time. Um, so it's I, I I think it really comes down to remembering that we're all human beings. We're all going to make mistakes at some point in time. None of none of us is above making a mistake. So so how do I embrace someone who's been shunned by another community and? maybe or mistrustful of church i don't know um um i would simply accept them for who they are and not for the act they committed um what my my first career was a music therapist and we were thought uh, we were taught um to separate the individual from their behavior um i worked with um at various points emotionally and disabled and kids with anger and behavior issues. And we were always taught separate the kid from the behavior. Their behaviors are not appropriate, but they are still children and they still deserve to be loved. still deserve to be respected and accepted. Um, So that's the, that's the angle I always take when it comes to people. Um, So we, we accept you as you are, End of story. Yeah, I love it. I love it. One of the things we say uh, when we, particularly if if it's a week where we're celebrating communion and we're sharing the bread and the wine, 
uh, is that, you know, you are welcome. And I got this from uh, my friend Sal down the road at uh, fellow UCC church says, all are welcome and all are not only welcome, but worthy to share in the table. Because I think a lot of people have experienced a sense of not being worthy. Not only are you not welcome, but you're not worthy to be here. God doesn't view you as worthy. We don't see you as worthy. And I think that's such a powerful, affirming uh, thing to say to people is that you are invited to the table and you are wonderful and right. worthy and welcome to the celebratory feast with us. Uh, and you know, I hope we embody that, not just in that moment, but in the wider life of community together as the church. Now, what tends to happen, though, is we humans get all up in our humanness <laughs> and forget and forget things like, you know, grace and compassion, you know, the things Jesus talked about. We get all up in our humanness. And when maybe in a church, if someone does something, quote unquote, bad, then it's like, ooh, this person is not going to reflect good on us to the outside world we need to distance ourselves from them or this person isn't following the rules the commandments the what we need to do to be good christians therefore we should distance ourselves from them that's less about you and what you did than about the church and the people who have forgotten it's not about looking good i'm not giving them a pass by any stretch of the imagination but I'm just saying sometimes we forget and get caught up in our humanness. Um, and I think when we, when we read new Testament stories, that's, that's who the, the Pharisees and the scribes represent people who were so uh, caught up in the letter of the law and the looking good and looking pious that they forgot how to be compassionate and loving. They, they lost their humanity trying to be the perfect humans. Ooh, that's good. I should write that down. There you go. That in a talk. That'll preach. Boom. And so she, uh, Joanna, follows that up with saying, how do you actively work to heal the devastating wounds and very deep scars dealt by the church to people who are just uh, being themselves and trying to live as God made them? Yeah, how do we work to heal uh, those things that that are raw for them? And I, and I think it's some of what we've already said. It's expressing that embrace and that our embrace is reflective, as we understand it, of God's embrace. Right. And that God made you as beautiful and as someone uh, to celebrate and be celebrated. Uh, and we affirm and hold that. And and also, we're all on a journey where we're wrestling with our our beauty and, our, and we're wrestling with our sort of shadow sides in which we do things that maybe we, we ourselves regret or would have done differently. But we're all working through it to be who God wants us to be. So um, I'm going to reference our friend uh, Carol Howard Merritt, who wrote a book specifically about this calling Healing Religious Wounds, I think. Yeah, uh, and she was a guest on our podcast some episodes ago. Checking the history for that, but yep. but she speaks to that, and and yes, it is very sad and disappointing when the church wounds intentionally or unintentionally, and and the work 
that the individual needs or, or the journey an individual needs to take to get back to a place of trust in, you know, that church or another church is a long, slow one. Um, and it may not be one that they ever get to the end of and not return to a church. So my, what I say to them is remember that God is, God is beyond that particular church that hurt you. God is beyond those people who, you know, ignored you, shunned you, uh, humiliated you, uh, whatever, turned their back on you. God is, God is beyond all them. God is bigger than that and deeper than that. And when it really, when, when that happens, um, my my suggestion is again focus on god not on the church um realize that that the the rejection that you feel is from the people not from god boom um and 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 truly truly reconnect and deepen the relationship with god and um and if it takes you back to a church great if it doesn't that's okay too but 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 I don't want to minimize how hard that is when you're expecting this place that is supposed to be the epitome of love and acceptance turns out to reject you. That's that's inexcusable in in so many ways. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, do we have time for one more question? I've got a good one. Sure, hit it. All right, Scott. An email says. If you could take away all evidence culturally, spiritually, and historically of heaven and hell, would the world be better or worse than it is now? Mm. Ah, there was no talk of the afterlife, right? It was just about right now. Huh. I don't know. <laughs> I know. That's a good one, isn't it? I think about that one for a second. I know. Yeah. Wow. Like what well, so I guess it's worth thinking about what kind of damage has been done uh in terms of thinking about hell or heaven and maybe what good things have have we done and and can we is there a balance or is the weight shifted in in one direction or another? So, so I'll I'll say this. Um coming from the unity context. So in unity we don't you know, Unity's New Thought Christianity and, and many, like I would say, mainstream progressive uh, movements also hold this view of heaven and hell not being actual afterlife destinations, um, more of a more of a symbolic state of your current being. Mm. So, so in Unity, we say, you know, heaven, when you're living it, when you're living from a good place and things are well for you, especially in your thoughts and beliefs you're creating heaven on earth. You can also create hell for yourself if you're living in a constant place of lack, fear, worry, all that kind of stuff and anxiety. So yep. so not so so already I am I and and most of my circle of people in the unity movement are living from a perspective of heaven and hell not being an afterlife destination. What that means for us is that we put the focus on the here and now. So it's about right now, how can I be a more loving, compassionate person if for no other reason than it's going to create an experience of heaven on earth right now in this moment? 
um, as opposed to I'm racking up points for the afterlife. Because I think if you're living from a place of doing these good deeds because you want to rack up points for the afterlife, there's a certain intrinsic selfish motivation there. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It makes religion very selfish. You know, and um, and that's not the reason to do it. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I would say I would take a bit of the historical angle and say that as we look over the history of the church, there's been a lot of ugliness that's happened um, because of this idea of heaven or hell. And so we could look back on forced conversions of, of Jews or of, you know, quote unquote, pagans or people of other uh, religious traditions or indigenous peoples because we're saving their souls and we're keeping them from going to heaven or we treat them terribly because we imagine God has already destined them for hell. And so if they're going to burn for all eternity, it's not going to hurt to start burning right now. Or if we mistreat them, enslave them, what have you. And so if we serve a God who can dehumanize people forever, then our God wouldn't mind us dehumanizing them for a little while now. So I think it's had, uh, I think the world would be better if we historically just did not have these concepts. Uh, and I'm trying to think of what good heaven does. It, it provides comfort, right? Because we're a species that's conscious that we are mortal, that we are going to die. And that makes us sad. And so heaven provides a comfort that, yeah, this isn't the end. And I'll see Aunt Dot or whoever uh, again. And that makes us feel better, right? But that doesn't validate, I think, all the things that have done, uh, have been done uh, because of the afterlife. All right, so now I'll play devil's advocate because, you know, I like to <laughs> pun into Do it. Devils, Do it. devils, get it? Devil. Um, the uh, 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 other religions also speak of some kind of afterlife or at the very least karmic retribution, you know, reincarnation, what happens to you, you know, right. in this next life based on this life. And I, you know, I can't, I can't deny that objectively <laughs> – it helps keep some people on more of a path of doing good as opposed to, you know, committing purely selfish uh, acts. So I see where you're going. Right. So I can't, I can't just sit here and say, Oh yeah, we'd be better off if we didn't have that. We'd be better off if we didn't have it because sometimes yes, it is used as a control tool and a, a, a tool to manipulate people to right. follow a certain set of beliefs. Now, at the same time, I think, you know, if 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 you do have a belief system that says, for example, if we look at, you know, I'm going to base, you know, if I believe in reincarnation and and how I come back, whether it's in another human form or some other animal or a lower animal, like a bug, based on how mm. I act in this life, therefore, I'm going to act better, you know. That may not be inherently a horrible thing, is all I'm saying. You know, so again, yeah, yeah, I, I, I see that. Well done. That was a good, good rebuttal. I like it. It can be objective in in that way, but again, I always, I always say to people, you know what? The afterlife. No one knows for sure what's happening in the afterlife after we die. Nobody knows for sure. Many scriptures have, um, from different religions, have their have their thoughts about right. it. Right. You know. Um. But honestly, truly, we 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 really don't know. So right. that's I right. Say, I say to people that's like the, that's the honest position. 
yeah, that's going to take care of itself. How are you going to be the embodiment of the divine right here and now while you're alive? Like that's where your, 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 your thoughts, yeah. your beliefs, your consciousness needs to be. Yeah. Don't worry about that because you can't do anything about that. It is what it's going to be. I, I, I say those same words. I, I hear you. And I think, you know, in my tradition, uh, I think there's a wide variety of beliefs on this in the UCC, but, but, um, for myself, I don't talk a lot about hell and I don't believe a loving God could eternally consciously torment anyone because that is one of the worst things I can imagine anyone doing. And so that feels to me like a very immoral thing. And I, that's not the God I worship. Um, as far as heaven, you know, again, we don't know what's going to happen, what that is or isn't, what it's going to look like or not going to look like. Um, but I, I have more room for hope about uh, an eternal bliss uh, to follow this. But, you know, as you said, we don't know. And our Hindu friends could be right. And we might show back up as a horse or a fly or something else. By the way, are you, are you watching The Good Place? I've seen some of it. I, I, I've seen, I think, half of season one. Oh, no. you got you, Dude, you got to watch it to the end of season one because there's... All right. a, I'm not going to spoil it for you. No, no, please don't. Come, don't do it. Not, You're tempted. I'm not. No, no, I'm saying, but there is a twist you have to... All right, keep all right. I will, I, good. I need to go back to that. Yes. Then I'm worth... You know, you could just fast forward to like the last episode. Yeah. Um, there you go. I'm still well. I'm still on the path, so I'm seeking the light. The path. <laughs> Woo! I love that show. Ooh, let's let's hit number six real quick, because oh yeah yeah, number quick. six. Well, this is a, a maybe a teaser for our holiday show next week. So Paul on Facebook says, "Do you think Jesus would care if we said Merry Christmas or not?" I think Jesus would be totally flabbergasted how much emphasis we're putting on his birthday. <laughs> yes especially, especially on the fact that it's the wrong day <laughs> boom you guys can't even get the day right exactly i think i think jesus would just be like wait what <laughs> what is happening i don't understand seriously, seriously. <laughs> no, you guys have, you lost me i don't i don't think jesus would care at all because when he was alive you know i don't i don't know if they celebrated birthdays in first century palestine but um Ooh. If they did, like they might have been at best like twenty five people who were like, "Hey, happy birthday, Yeshua!" Like you know, this was not, you know, a, a probably oh, yeah. thing that that happened. With there was him. no there was no candy canes and tinsel. Exactly. Now, also, like after let's let's be clear about this. After he died, or even as he was getting, you know, who who would have remembered when he was born? Because you know this yeah. whole this whole thing about you know them being you know traipsing across the Bethlehem and you know that that again a whole other mythological story. Wow, you're you're jumping ahead, but yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. So no, I don't think Jesus would care. I think Jesus would be totally like like incomprehensibly blown out of his mind by what we have, what we do to quote unquote celebrate the date of his birth or the occurrence of his birth, I should say. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So we've talked uh, same-sex marriage uh, and where Jesus would stand on that. We've talked about uh, make me a cake just as fast as you can, unless it's for a gay wedding. 
and we've t- we've talked about is That's it okay cool. to have is it okay to have sex before marriage, and how do you um, how do you embrace people who have been shunned in the church, and how do you help heal spiritual wounds that are deep scars? What's your parting wisdom, sir? Um. My part in wisdom is, ooh, can we quickly answer number seven? I want to get to all the questions. Oh, wow, you just want to keep going. Well, you told me let's have a shorter episode, but we can I keep know, going. Right? I didn't realize we had all these great questions. I know. Seriously, we got some good, so, good so people. Wait, yeah, so thank, thank you to the people, first of all, who who you know gave us some stuff to talk about. Um, we really appreciate it. Um, that quick question, Heather on Facebook, is God male or female or some sort of transgender or dot, dot, dot? Um, I will say God has no gender. <laughs> Ooh, and um, no agenda. And no agenda. So remember <laughs> that word. <laughs> can't, Sorry. Can't believe I walked into that one. <laughs> uh, so so that whole passage about we are creating the image and likeness of God and you know we're male and we're female. Yeah. Um, truly, that passage needs to be read as we created God in our image. Um, at the time of the writings, it was a very patriarchal society. Whoa. And Whoa. and, and envisioned and you know an anthropomorphical did i say that word right anthropomorphic anthropomorphized there you go we anthropomorphized god and 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 the original write-ins were god as this being who would look like us feel like us be angry like us be happy like us be sad like us all that kind of stuff um and that was the understanding of god at that level of consciousness you know bronze age people when stuff was written okay so here we are now in the 21st hey, century some of us are still in the bronze age just gonna some say. of us are, but i'm saying some of us are still thinking like that <laughs> some yeah, of us right. have not updated our or idea or image of god and yep. we still think of god as as a being um and i think i think that gives us comfort i think that allows us to relate to God as we would relate to another person. Um, so, so I'll, I'll, for me, God is, God is presence. God is not persona. So for me, God is neither a he nor a she. And, and therefore what pronoun do we use? And some people get very disturbed if I use the pronoun it to describe God. So I don't use a pronoun for God. I say the word God. Yeah, I do that as often as I can. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll say God, and, re- and it sometimes it's awkward uh, grammatically. But then I, I do say he on occasion. But then I'll also say she on occasion, and I'm really conscious of it, and I try to balance it. Um, and I'm not quite where you are in the unity movement that God is not a personal uh, being. But uh, no, I, I'm, I, I'm not saying God can't be personal to us. Right, because the only way we can understand God is is at the point of who we are. So, right. so we can have a personal relationship, and the only way I think many of us can understand a personal relationship is as it relates to another person. Therefore, we personalize and like make God That's into right. a person. But to make God into a person is to severely limit that which is limitless. Yeah, no, I so, hear you. So let's not limit God and get past the idea of God having a gender to begin with. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Wow. There you go. Good. So that All was right. that. Shutting, shutting down. Uh, shutting down. 
Shutting down. Well, thank you, friends, for tuning in to Pub Theology Live. You can connect and spread the word on social media. You can listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, or iTunes. Please rate us on iTunes. And I'm just going to say my offer still stands that if you rate us with a you know five-star review on iTunes, I'll send you a copy of signed copy of Pub Theology and uh, maybe a few Pub Theology Live beer coasters which are pretty sweet and i still have to send some to ogan uh but maybe that'll be under the tree <laughs> <laughs> and if you're interested in gathering a conversation joining a conversation like this in your neighborhood uh with people of different perspectives on topics that matter check out the directory at pubtheology.com and if you don't see one happening man sign up uh you can find resources to start your own and there's new groups happening all over the country all the time Thank you again to our sponsors, Wink Wine Club, who you'll find at trywink.com slash PT Live and Casual Priest at casualpriest.com. So until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. kind of fun yeah I'm, I'm 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 really really impressed with people coming through with questions that's pretty yeah cool. i was a little nervous uh <laughs> as of a day or two ago but people came through people people be on church time <laughs> yeah exactly we'll show yeah. up uh is that is that question spend a week pass for the future did someone submit that or was that from the email that was from your email questions right yeah, yeah that was one i came up with so right. it's okay we didn't get to that well quick answer is it would be the future for one reason and one word lottery <laughs> boom so the question was uh for those still listening if you could spend a week in the past or in the future which would you choose and why and ogan's going to bring some uh winning sure. lotto numbers to the future with him lottery exactly totally mess up the timeline or no you're going to go you're going to go to the future get them and then come back yeah. with the yeah yeah That's what I'm I confuse yeah. it. Yeah. No, no. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, thank you all, everyone, who turned in some questions. Awesome. Absolutely. See you next week for it's a holiday show. Holiday episode. We don't know. What or can we say Christmas? We can say We can say Merry Christmas. Hey, our president said we're saying Merry Christmas again. So we're gonna make Christmas great again. Make Christmas great again. I love that he said that, and 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 people's response are like, "Wait, when did we stop saying Merry Christmas?" Yeah, exactly. No one did. That's a whole other episode. No one did. All right, we're out.